Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. I don't know about you, but I find descending into the winter season here in the U.S., especially around the holidays, to be a bit of a whiplash for my nervous system. Every primal part of me is begging to slow down, curl up by a fire, and surrender to the dark, long nights. And yet, Often this time of year, social calendars and obligations are piling up faster than you can say, Mariah Carey. My wish for you is to find small moments of rest and reprieve amidst the hustle and bustle. I'll be including a guided meditation for a restful night's sleep at the end of this episode. And in the spirit of giving and receiving, I have a small favor to ask. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please consider sharing it with a like-minded friend, lover, or relative this season, perhaps over a juicy, spicy cup of mulled wine. It would make my heart sing. Thank you for being here. My guest today, Taina, aka Tatiana Kokareva, is a spellbinding songstress an incredible musician, songwriter, and producer who weaves rich imagery and dizzying intellect throughout our interview. Tatiana is a fellow Carl Jung enthusiast, so I thought I would outline a few of his key concepts in this intro to get us warmed up. Tatiana and I speak a good bit in our conversation about the collective unconscious, one of Jung's primary and best-known contributions to the field of psychology. He defines the collective unconscious as a body of knowledge and imagery that all humans are born with, existing outside of conscious awareness. This knowledge comes from ancestral experience and becomes more readily and consciously available in times of crisis. In his book, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, Jung states, quote, What is more, life and psyche existed for me before I could say I. And when this I disappears, as in sleep or unconsciousness, life and psyche still go on, as our observation of other people and our own dreams inform us. Unquote. In his book Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, Jung gives examples of certain images and symbols from dreams in childhood for which he could not have had any conscious context or working knowledge, then encountering those same symbols in his reading and his studies later in life. 
Jung believed that the collective unconscious is expressed in terms of archetypes, which can be signs, symbols, or patterns of thinking and behaving, the meaning of which is inherited from our ancestors psychically and unconsciously. This is where wisdom traditions like tarot come in, giving us a conscious framework for accessing these archetypes and working with them. Some of the key archetypes Jung outlined are the magician, the hero, the outlaw, the sage, and the mother, the last of which Tatiana and I touch on in our interview. Jung considered the mother to be the most important and essential archetype. We discussed the collective unconscious and shared dreaming in episode two, Twin Dreams, as well. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Tatiana and I discussed the collective unconscious in terms of our most recent transformative experience, the COVID-19 global pandemic. There was an excellent article in the New York Times recently entitled, Did COVID Change How We Dream?, which I'll link to in show notes. It examines the work of Dr. Deidre Barrett, who teaches in the psychiatry department at Harvard Medical School and edits the scientific journal, Dreaming. Barrett has studied collective dream themes for decades, compiling work around shared social dreaming during 9-11 and again now during COVID-19. Barrett collected over 150,000 pandemic dreams, many of which contained themes of monsters lurking just out of sight or invisibly attacking people around them. She also noticed a surge in bug imagery, scary swarms of insects, the dreaming mind searching for images to match this new and nebulous type of fear that we were all experiencing. A virus, after all, is also known as a bug. My further research has echoed this. Themes of zombies and beasts of all kinds have dominated our subconscious minds, kicked into overdrive by isolation and lockdown. I will include a new segment in the middle of this episode, Dream Bites, with one-minute snippets of a few listeners sharing some of their own examples of pandemic-themed dreams. Barrett sees dreams as both more complicated and paradoxically more simple than many of the theories that swirl around them. She sees dreams as an alternative form of thinking and processing, governed by a brain state that operates in a more abstract, nonlinear state to fill in the gaps and limitations of our conscious thought capacity. She says, quote, Dreaming is above all, a time when the unheard parts of ourselves are allowed to speak. We would do well to listen. Unquote. Now, on to my interview with Taina. Oh 
All right. Tatiana, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Psyche Magic. I'm so glad you're here. Yay, me too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I know we have crossed paths at multiple kind of stages in our journey. And I think that for both of us, this is just a very welcome reunion. I think we've yes. come a long way <laughs> since we first met. So I'm excited to dig in with you today. Thank you. No, thank you for asking me to be here. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to get into all kinds of things today because I know we have many overlapping interests. Right. <laughs> but I thought that we could, in the tradition of this podcast, I thought that we could pull a tarot card to get us started, if that's okay with you, Tatiana. Yes, that okay. sounds wonderful. Great. Okay, so let's see what comes up. So this is my Rider Waite Smith deck. Oh, yeah. Just classic. Yes. Just... Let's just go classic. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see what comes up. Okay, this one just jumped out. Let's see what it is. Oh, yes. 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 Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> okay, so the card that I just pulled for the listeners is the hermit. Mm. And so this is a depiction of there's a man in a blue cloak and he's got this really big kind of flowing white beard. He's standing on the top of kind of like an ice capped mountain. It's a very sparse landscape behind him. He's holding a staff and he's holding a lantern with a six pointed star inside. And he's got his head bowed his cloak over his head. So this is the uh, ninth card in the major arcana series, the hermit. Mm -hmm. So Tatiana, mm -hmm. what does this card mean to you? Do you have any associations? <laughs> Tatiana, are you a hermit? <laughs> you little hermit. Oh my gosh. It always makes me think of, there's a time when I took because I'm fascinated with all things that are spiritual mm -hmm. or a lot of them. I mean, I guess it's, there is so much there, but at some point I wanted to learn more about the tarot cards. So I remember taking a class. I just didn't know why, but this description stuck with me about the hermit. And she was like, he's the one who's going to go up the mountain, but he's not going to go on the normal route that like oh. a ton of people walked on that is wide and clear he's gonna come up from some other place <laughs> and just that. you know make his own way up and then just meet everyone at the top so it was kind of interesting I guess to hear someone describe the hermit that way the interesting thing about the tarot cards I feel like I'm fascinated with them. Like, I don't know if they come as easy to me in terms of immediately knowing like, yes, oh, this is that, or I see the value in them, but somehow I feel like the way maybe I'm wired, it's just something that I, I'm fascinated with, but I don't necessarily use. So that's, yeah. I guess what I have to say is I'm not sure how I would interpret it as of right now in my life, just because that card also is very complex. And I just kind of remember that one little story. <laughs> yes, I absolutely love that. Right? The major arcanas are hard. Exactly, because the major arcanas are what's known as kind of the major series of secrets. That's what tarot is. It's about secrets that can be revealed. So mm -hmm. I really like that you resist the temptation to prescribe this kind of like very specific meaning to each card and just right. let it, like let that be enough because I think that the reason that tarot has endured so long is that there are so many 
layers. There's so many complexities cards. Okay, that's cool. So we'll see as we talk, we'll see what kind of hermit-like concepts or secrets come up for us. Yeah. Interesting. If I remember correctly, you're a pretty recent new mom. Is that right? Yeah, my son, he's going to be three in January. Okay. Aquarius. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Aquarius. So, yeah, I mean, I think recent. I mean, when you look at a newborn, you feel like, oh. Oh, I know. (laughs) I feel like that it's like a whole decade has passed since newborn stage, but it's only been three years. Good point. Yeah. But the transitions happen fast. Yeah. Humans are fascinating. And I guess there are so many layers and stages of parenting. So, I mean, there's this really. I don't know who would be funny if you translated English, but I remember this really (laughs) stupid joke where this mom was giving her son a hard time and she was saying, you know, pick any Russian name, like, Vanya, you look so tired. Look under your eyes. The bag's under your eyes. And he goes, mother, I'm 65 years old. (laughs) Like, come on. And then I think, damn, that's going to be me. Like, Till the end of my life. (laughs) I know. Like he'll always be the, you know, the little one, the baby. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like in America, there is this mindset of, and I'm not, I am in no way saying, you know, baby your child until you're, you're dead and your deathbed. (laughs) It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, once a parent, that's right. That's the new kind of your life has expanded yes. and it's going to be there for the remainder of your life. It's funny because in America, there is this sort of mindset that like 18 and I'm done. You know what I mean? Like it's done after 18, yes. which is very much just like a marketing scheme. I feel like that's not really like a reflection of what parenting is. It's just not like that. This is why I love having these conversations. I love being able to talk about the differences between culture. I've never thought about that hard transition in America to like, boom, 18 equals adulthood. Like I've never really considered it in that way. Which is like, what is that? Like, how are you an adult at 18? You know, like, exactly. And I mean, that's just our life. We're going to go and on our deathbed, we'll be like, well, I did the best I could. I still haven't figured it out. I mean, you know, like I know definitely no hard deadline where you are a full grown adult person who just has life figured out. It just never happens. It's a fallacy. It's, it is a, right. It's a lie. It's a misunderstanding. It's, a misunderstanding. Right, it's, pro- right. it's problematic. I mean, I'm in a phase of life where I'm sitting with the question of whether I want to be a parent. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I really do think that there, this concept you're bringing up about there's almost an element there of kind of setting up false expectations about like what parenting will entail, what the Mm -hmm. quote unquote, like duties and responsibilities are instead of just considering it. Like you said, I'm stepping into this new lifetime role. Like I am choosing it with that in mind. Yeah. There's something so much more realistic about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember talking to my friend, the one who actually became a therapist and Mm -hmm. he's, just always been this really wise person and also a water sign. So love it. You know, I just remember asking him because he had a son before I had a kid. I just asking him what it was like or how he felt about it. And one of the things that he said was your life just expands. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know. It just, it was a very 
beautiful answer, I guess. So I I think that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, just like with anything else in life, it's this weird duality of both expansion and constraints all at once, Mm. right? So something expands, yet it does put real constraints on your life too, right? So, but that is such a human... Of course. Right. Right. But that is also such a human experience of going through life. So the, uh, the holding two yes. opposites, you know, yes. true at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. That is very, to me, that's very much a hermit concept. Like he's at the top of the mountain with that hard one knowledge about what it is to hold opposites. That's like a lifetime skill building journey right right that's so interesting yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyway thank you for indulging me I'm so fascinated by creatives who are also mothers Mm -hmm. I guess just because of my own kind of considerations where I'm at in my life I always want to talk to people about that Mm -hmm. I would love to get in to kind of your dream world so this part is always just kind of free form, whatever feels most kind of salient or interesting to you. So we can talk about a recent sort of dream or dream theme that's been happening, or we can talk about more of kind of like historical kind of dream patterns. Most of us tend to have dreams and certain symbols and themes that have followed us through life, right? So this Mm -hmm. is the part where you get to choose what you want to talk about, and we'll just dive into it a little bit. Yeah, so with dreams, it's interesting because in in Russia, mm-hmm. it's very common, at least for me in my family, has been to interpret dreams. Really? Or, yeah, if you see something, or I remember even as a kid, there are just books laying around. They're called Sonic, and it's like uh-huh. a dream dictionary where oh, yes, yes, where you have all the different interpretations of an object or or an animal or whatever or an action that happened in your dream I mean there's a lot of that in Russia there's just a lot of that in the culture yes it's pretty normal for me to to think of dreams as something that is of importance and that can be interpreted and that's not just uh this funny thing that happens to you when you go lay down at night exactly there's already this culture around dreams being meaningful right right But then with that comes the problem. And I mean, that also, it goes back to that interpretation of the hermit. Dreams are in many ways are like that too, where you can jump to a conclusion. I mean, Mm. dreams, like for example, my mom actually legitimately has dreams that they are premonitions. So, oh yes. Yeah. Which I, thankfully I don't have a lot of of those because that freaks you out Mm -hmm. because if you interpret it at face value or you interpret it with just that one way of thinking about the object or an action that you saw, then that can be a false interpretation, right? Yes. So that's where the dreams get very complex because that that all taps in into that concept that you were talking about, how nothing is face value. Nothing is just a simple... Yes. One size fits all. One just size fits this, all. Right, this is right. the answer. This is the solution. Right. I right. heard a quote recently from Jessica Dore. She's a tarot reader. You might know her work, but she said that solutions are a capitalist venture. And I loved mm. that. I loved yes. that. Just that this sense. neat, tidy answer that you're going to mm-hmm. have to buy from me. Right. And, and that's that so true. Yeah. I Absolutely. Yeah. That really makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then interpretations become are kind of complicated for me. And so mm-hmm. 
I do not have reoccurring themes like some of my friends do. I feel like those are fascinating. I know, me too. I know. Right? Yeah. But I will say that when I try to make sense of dreams, I feel like, to me, it feels like they can be a frenzy of the mind sometimes. Like sometimes you have a dream that's just like your mind going, (laughs) you know, and then you're, and so it's important not to get worried about that and try to interpret it. I feel like. I completely agree. Because they don't have to have a meaning. There are, I know what you're saying. There are certain dreams that kind of carry this flavor of almost just kind of a discharge of energy. I like the way that you said a a frenzy. I think that that's really accurate. And then there are some dreams, I, I know dream researchers who call them big dreams that do carry that sort of emotional essence of there's something here that I need to pay attention to. And somehow I just, I just know that. Right. Right. And I agree. But then there are also dreams and those have happened to me a couple of times, which one was somewhat recent where you are seeing something that's not related to you, but is really, is going on in the world. Yes. And that's where Jung comes in and the red book, like, cause you know, I was really oh, into him. Oh, me too. A, yeah. <laughs> so it's really, I actually have it. So I, you I have the, you have a copy of the red book. Uh, yeah. As soon as they printed it, I bought it. Awesome. I mean, I, I sometimes will just look at the images or some of the writing. It's very intense. And so it, it was fascinating to me that he was seeing what was happening in the world during all this turbulent time and he was seeing these images. So sometimes it's not about you personally, but it's, it's just that we're all in this fabric of, it's like, I was talking to a friend about this because I had one of those dreams where I was really confused when I woke up because I felt like, what was that? A couple of days later, I learned about this, this happened in the world. Would you be willing to share what, what yeah, was. I mean, you it's, very, to, it's but... silly. It was like about hackers, basically. Oh, and, no and way. the ransom. Yeah. Because I shifted away from Gmail. You know, I have like a paid email account that, nice. and but because it's like a smaller company, so they actually email the customers. They're like, by the way, just so you know, like a lot of email providers have been under attacks wow. this week. And then they were asked for ransom and they said that we didn't pay it. <laughs> And so there, there might be some service dropout. Wow. And now it's just like, no way. Like I just saw this a day ago before getting the email and I was so confused about the dream, you know, and it, and it's so random. Like, it's not like I'm, you know, living with the Google campus and hanging out with all the like IT people or whatever. My understanding of what people do with coding is very basic. Oh, I, I know nothing about that. So in no way are they a part of my world, but just mm. for some reason, why, why I don't know, right? But it's interesting, Tatiana, because it was a little bit of a premonition type of dream for you in a way, right? So you're like, my my mom has these and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) She'll literally call me and she's in Russia. So there's a time difference. And so she'll call me like when it's three in the morning there. She's like, what happened? And I'm in the middle, like crying, something bad happened. And she just saw a dream about me. And I'm just like, how she do you know, do this? You're a witch. 
And we love it. We love oh, to yes, see it. Oh, yes, for sure. That's amazing. Well, and I wanted to go back to something else you said, because you're talking about Young and the Red Book. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like part of what you're referring to is that kind of collective. Collective conscious. Idea, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the idea that there are symbols and there are shared experiences that are accessible to us through I guess what we could call sort of the original internet, which is the collective unconscious. Like we Mm -hmm, all have mm -hmm. access to this material and it will show up spontaneously, even if we've never encountered it in our conscious lives, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to bring it up because there was a really interesting article in the New York Times recently about like shared COVID dreams that people were having. Yes, like in the collective unconscious. And it was fascinating. Oh my gosh. I will link to it and I'll send it to you, but it was really remarkable. Just the way that people's dreams were linking up, especially during the early days of the pandemic Um, I know yes yeah I remember I was having this conversation about COVID with someone and she told me that she saw a dream before it happened and she saw like a bunch of zombies coming and taking people away or something like that but then she was told that she wouldn't be touched if she was in this it was just something about like yeah I can't remember the message of the dream but I remember her distinctly telling me that there were zombies and then people were turning to zombies and that there was a lot of fear too. And that was just right before yes. the pandemic. Yes. It's funny that you say that because in the article, like zombie style dreams, oh, one of the main whoa. categories that people were sort so of just tapping into during that time. I know it's fascinating. It really is just, I don't know the way that we don't realize how like connected our subconsciouses are. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This segment is called Dream Bites, where I ask listeners to send in just short tidbit voicemails of recent dreams that they've had related to a show or episode topic. So for this first segment of Dream Bites, I asked some friends and listeners to send in pandemic-themed dreams that they remember. The results were pretty interesting and surprising, and I'm excited to share them with you. I'll go first. So I had a dream early on in the pandemic, and I wrote that it felt apocalyptic. So there was a wide shot of a bunch of small, tiny, tiny images of people climbing a mountain, huge mountain. And I saw part of the mountain starting to crumble down, and these people were falling, and it was so scary. And then I was on the mountain. So we were all scrambling to get out of the way before more of the mountain fell. And then... I looked around and I noticed that all of these people were a lot older than I expected them to be, which was interesting. So, and then it kept ramping up. So then there was water that started rising. And so it was coming up on the mountain, getting higher and higher. And then there was a little creature, like a little animal that swam up right next to me, like a little beaver or a gopher or something out of the water. And that's all I remember. 
Hi, Michael McMillan, former guest, actor in Hollywood. My dreams during the pandemic got a lot more epic and apocalyptic, which I bet is common for a lot of people. Suddenly, the scope was really big. I'd be like seeing armies battle, bombs going off in the distance, sometimes dragons flying around, like some real Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. Big, epic, sci-fi, stressful, stressful fantasies. And obviously, being an actor, I was out of work a lot during the pandemic. And then I'd also have dreams where like, I'd be spending way too much money on stuff, like buying a Tesla, and then wondering why I made that horrible mistake, waking up relieved that it wasn't true. Stress dreams. So I'm back in high school, and this classroom is super crowded. It's so crowded that I have to take a test and be all scrunched up on the floor underneath someone else's desk just so I can write. And when I look at the exam, I panic because I don't know any of the material. But I did realize that the book, the book that the exam is based on, I've also seen on a TV show ages ago. And so I think and I think, but of course I can't remember anything useful about the, the TV show even. And meanwhile, the test paper shrinks all like Alice in Wonderland style to be teeny tiny. And so I just feel terrible and I grab a paper and run out when the bell rings. I was talking to my friend and I think the reason I thought of this was because my son has been recently really obsessed with spiders, but then what it made me think of is the spider web. Yes. Right. Cause it, when something moves the, the whole thing ripples, like the wave ripples and yes. it's such a thin thread that everything is felt. Yes. Yeah. It does feel like maybe there are all these multiple spider webs, right? Because we all talk about the different resonance right? How you can be in a certain resonance. That way you will be tapping into a certain like pool of imagery and emotion and feeling and people, Mm -hmm. all of it, right? Yeah. Interesting fabric of life. Yeah. I love that image. Right? Oh, that's a a song. That's something. I don't know. But that reminds me, Tatiana, because I, okay, I'm glad we got to this place because I wanted to ask you about this. So in terms of your sort of writing process, your creative process, I know that you are not only a writer, but also a producer. I would imagine there's different processes there. So how do dreams and or the subconscious fit in with that process, if at all? Do you use that material? Do you have a practice around that? I'm so curious. I feel like they are 100% just all part of the same funnel right when you're in the resonance and yeah I mean a lot of people talk about it how you're just kind of like a bit of a vessel and yes just like with anything else we are co-creators as well right so it's this interesting synastry of two things interconnected but I mean for me I feel like music is very equal to meditation because what happens Mm. is I just go into my world and I'm gone and it's magical like I love it I it's just like my house my little house yeah and also I do feel like 
when I'm in tune and I just try to be less in my head and mm-hmm. less weighted down by the routine and the the normal physical things that we all go through. I do think that things flow easier maybe, right? Yeah. And it's cool because for me, it can be anything. It can be any sort of uh, emotion, any sort of part of a personality, like any mm-hmm. sort of part of whatever um, archetype you could say you're trying to recreate. And so that's the fun part that you can just like go into that and then you live that it's like being an actor too right oh that makes sense that's what they do right they yeah they just kind of well they talk about getting inside like a character or feeling yeah yeah. that's how it feels like for me too of course lots of generalizations it all depends but like just recently I wrote a song like I've never written a song with any bad words (laughs) but I wrote a song with the word bitch in it and uh, I mean, it was like the chorus, I guess, or whatever. It was like, better be the bitch who gets there first. That type of like shatter all the windows, bust down the doors. And I like lived in that character for a couple of okay. days. I was the bitch, man. I was shattering I, all the windows and I busting fucking doors. I was like, this is that. awesome. <laughs> You're like, I can get into this, actually. Yeah. I was like, damn, this this girl is cool. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess that's the fun part about being a writer. But uh, producers do it too. I mean, I feel like as a producer, when I work with, let's say I work with another artist, then I get into their world. And for me, it's like, I just kind of go into them and I live in their world for a little bit. And that's super cool. I really love doing that. And then you start seeing the beauty of all these people. You're like, because you get to know like their voice and all their little ways that they go about their process and their music and all that stuff. And you just kind of fall in love with that for that period of time that you're working on it. And that's beautiful. I really love that. I was going to say it's so intimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, you could say it's a very hermit. If you take hermit at a face value, (laughs) It's a very intimate process. You're not like on stage with a bunch of group, uh, people, and but you're in almost like, I feel like a studio is like a temple of music. I love that. <laughs> that is beautiful. Right? It's like going to church. <laughs> you're like yes. very quiet. A lot of times you're here with less people. I mean, especially now, um, things just slow down in that sense. They're less hectic. So yes. Well, and also this idea of, I don't know, when I think about the hermit as an archetype, I think about, because you brought up the concept of like meditation, contemplation, a temple. I think about the hermit as being practiced in that kind of artist's way, that artist's method that you mentioned of getting receptive, like mm-hmm. being able to just like receive and essentially surrender, like getting your own kind of ego out of the way and getting into that kind of receptive mode that so many of the best artists talk about, like just finding, sitting until it comes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, uh, that's so true. That's also when I think the best work happens is when you are able to move away from the ego, right? Mm -hmm. Which can pop up because it's a very vulnerable place to be. Of course. I'm not going to say that it's not vulnerable for a person to walk into an office and give a presentation. It's all vulnerable, right? Sure. Yeah, it's not that we're just vulnerable because we're making music. But the point is when someone 
when you feel like maybe someone has an expectation or when you have to go and be with another person, few people and things have to happen. It's a vulnerable place to be. And so people's egos can act up, right? Because that's a defense mechanism, really what it is. It's not that trying to protect. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating in that sense, co-writing, I think, and working with other people is is a beautiful process because it teaches you a lot about yourself. Yes. Just like relationships. Like I was single for a very long time before okay. I was in a relationship with my husband and then, you know, we got married. And man, have I learned some things about myself after getting into a long-term relationship that were not visible to me. Exactly. Because that's that mirror. Yes, that's right. That mm-hmm. is the purpose of relationship is that we can see ourselves and each other more clearly in relationship. And that's the downside of the hermit too, is that I can get right. I can get stuck in my own <laughs> little world and my own little way of doing things, mm-hmm. stuck mm-hmm. in my ways. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe I'm not growing. So true. We need it with COVID more than, and with having a kid, having a kid going through all the stuff, implications of COVID and things like that. I'm now such a strong believer that we are meant to be together as people, you know, like we are meant to be social, communal creatures. Of course, it's different for everyone. You were saying no size fits all type solution is not right. So that's another thing is whenever someone makes a statement, we're just like, yes, we're communal people. Let's move in with a hundred people in and all live together in one house. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. Let's now like ideal, overly idealize idealize that that concept. Exactly. Exactly. Just like, it's not like that. However, we are that idea of us being social creatures of us having to have relationships with each other's of us having to have all these people and lessons to be learned and interactions it is 100% I'm a believer in that now more than ever and same with children that whole thing you can talk about for a long time there's a really big change there's been a really big shift in many ways in people's relationships and people's marriages and also of course as a result of that in how people bring up children, right? And so much now has become about the two people. Okay, I want to learn more about your love of astrology, Tatiana. Mm. My listeners know I'm a big fan. um, And I would love to hear from you, not only kind of how you got into it, but sort of how you use those concepts in sort of your, your daily life and the way you move through the world. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my parents went to see an astrologer. So that tells you something about my family. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I guess they were open to seeing an astrologer. And that happened when I was like 15 years old, I think. They went without me and they got a reading for me without me. (laughs) Yeah. So then they came back and they're like, here's the summary of your reading. Okay, (laughs) and they gave me this paper that the astrologer gave them and basically there he drew all these symbols which then I didn't know what they were but they were like the two planets and then that aspect between those planets I guess he outlined some of the main things that he felt like he wanted to talk about stuck out to him yeah yeah exactly exactly so I saw a bunch of symbols and then to the right of them explanations of what they mean so that got me super curious, but I think that the the most important thing that got me super fired up about it is that he's told them that I was going abroad for higher learning 
And we found out I was accepted to go to university to America. I mean, that's how I ended up here. And Ah. I was only 15 at the time. So it wasn't even common for people to go abroad for school, nor was it common to go to school at 15. I mean, by the time I got to school, I was 16 already. That's not just a cold, a cold read trick that will apply to most people that can have in their back pocket. No. Yeah. It's not like your daughter... There's someone she likes, you know, I don't know, whatever. She's got creative fire. Like, all right. yeah, she's got creative fire. Yeah, exactly. I can't make, I feel like I can't come up with a good joke on the spot. It's okay. Yes. So you're good. You've uh, been making me laugh this whole time. So you're okay, fine. Okay, good, good. And so he told them that it just blew my mind. It's like, how in yeah, the world what? would this stranger who's never seen me just know that this huge thing is happening in my life? And, um, and that's it. That was the beginning of me. Like after that, I just went and in good Gemini fashion, I Ah. bought a ton of books and I just remember waking up really early and there was in the summer and fall and spring, like my, I lived in the house and then outside we had this veranda outside and I would just bring all the stuff there and just sit and like read and learn I have a beautiful mental picture of that right now yeah. I love I love that <laughs> yeah and uh yeah and then I got super into it and then I went to college and I continued learning about it just always the hobby just, but, then, but self-let like self yeah right yeah. self-taught yeah and then I moved to New York and then there I started trying to go to classes because I felt like well I've been learning it on my own for a while now and just wanted to go find a teacher and I did a few classes. None of them really connected. And then I remember going to this bookshop with all the spiritual books. And there is a woman there in this astrology section. She was talking and I was just like, my head just turned and I was immediately like, wow, she's really smart. Like, okay. She's cool. I like her. And then she was giving a lecture there. And then she became my teacher. She's amazing. She's like a Virgo, super smart. So, you know, I think that's the part of me that is, there's a cerebral part to me. I think that I have, I still love all these things that are what you would call logical or whatever. More sort of wisdom traditions, right? Right. Yeah. Like imagery, like things that are intuitive and then there's the thinking part of me. And I think that for me to process all that stuff, there has to be a certain approach that works. And because her being another mercurial person, that's how she was in her style. And so taking lessons from her or going to all her lectures, like because she would speak at this coffee shop, like every kind of every week and then I got super obsessed with it I mean I would even go to conferences like astrology conferences oh wow and then all of that faded in the background of my life like it was just like this thing that I learned and I never wanted to pursue it professionally or no um charge people for readings or it was just a thing that fascinated me and I wanted to learn it I wanted to understand it so I learned and understood it and then I mean to a certain degree there's no complete understanding right people Um, don't realize how dense the sort of discipline of um astrology is like how much how much there is to learn yeah right right how much information technicalities right all this stuff And then I felt like I also didn't want to be stuck in 
well, I do this because my mercury is in cancer or like, well, I have, you know, I'm, I'm going through that Uranus opposition. So you know what that means. And I just kind of was like, I don't really want to live my life. Like always thinking about how I don't, I guess like it started feeling fatalistic to me. I completely agree. Right. It can be dangerous. It starts to get a little fundamentalist where it's like, oh, this, this is the answer to everything. Exactly. You know, they're all different branches of astrology and there are some that are super fatalistic. There are a lot of people, smart people who subscribe to that. And to me that now it's becoming less of a helpful tool and more of a negative, at least for me. Because I want to feel like I'm co-creating. I want to feel both informed and empowered. Yeah. So This can be a lens through which I can view the world, but I can take it on and take it off. It's it's not the only lens. Yeah, right, right, right. Just what you're saying. It's not the only lens. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so then it just sort of shifted in the background of of something that I'm aware of that helps me understand things better, maybe understand people or just notice patterns, like types of uh, sessions I have with Gemini's, you know. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, just silly stuff like that. And I mean, I do understand the climate. I mean, I remember there's a Richard Tarnas that's a really, he's a really good writer and I recommend him to people who are not really into astrology necessarily. And the, his book is very helpful because what he did, he went back and he went through all the major planetary, like whether conjunction of two planets or, you know, go, go through all the major aspects. The aspects are just points in angles. time in which the, yeah, exactly. Like the angles between planets line the up planets in a certain way up. that has, right implications exactly and so and he went through them historically and then showed how like history was following those right how those were interconnected that's fascinating you know I was reading his book before COVID and I put it down I was like I can't I don't want to believe that something like that is going to happen two months later my like our lives changed wow (laughs) I literally remember opening like opening it up and so it's fascinating. What is that book? So let me hold on. Let me look it up just so I say. Yeah, look it up. Oh, Cosmos and Psyche. Yes. Okay. This is I don't know if you've it's on my list. I need to get it. Okay. Oh, you've heard of it? I've heard of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. And so do you, in terms of like, this is around astrology, do you follow like any kind of specific framework? Are you checking in at regular intervals about like what's going on? Yeah. I mean, like I try to like back up my computer before sure. you go switch yep. grade, yep. you know, things like that. Like I will check the moon because I do feel like the moon is very helpful, not like constantly, but every now and then I'll check it out. Like what sign is the moon in like there's this thing where the moon doesn't make any aspects it's called void moon Ooh, yeah so I try not to start things on the void moon or like schedule important things on the void moon. really yeah and it's really funny because I was working with this artist and we were supposed to submit a song he texts me he's like hey uh, my fiance just told me the moon is void she just wanted to double check with you if that's okay to submit it he's like 
totally doesn't know what the, any of this means. And I just got that text and I was like, this is amazing. This is so funny. It's the first time an artist like felt the oh same way and was like, what do you think about the void moon? And I was like, I'm in some alternate reality. I was like, yes, girl, it's void. Let's not. You're like, it. we're on the same page here. Okay. I, okay, yes. that's amazing. I have to look into that. I had yeah. not heard about that void moon. See, there's always, yeah. there's always more to learn. Yeah. I think it is helpful to know where the moon is. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to know like the basic things maybe about your chart, just so you kind of like know where your moon is. Do you know? Oh, wait. Where is your moon? I'm a Scorpio moon. Oh, that's awesome. It's rough. Scorpio moon's a little. My really close friend, she's got a Scorpio moon. It's a hard place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. But but see, that's the thing, though. It's like, yeah, like that's another thing about astrology is it's very frank. It's like, you know, the moon is not. In it's like, this is going to be a little right. rough. It's, yeah. like, it's not in Taurus. It's in Scorpio. So uh, it's because mm -hmm. your experience of uh, your mother is going to be very different. Your emotions, whatever. But mm -hmm. I will say that, like, I actually, I mean, like I was saying, someone who's very close to me has a Scorpio moon. And I super appreciate her Scorpio moon because I feel like her and I go on the phone. And we have these conversations like every time we talk. Mm -hmm. And I, it's my favorite thing. Right. To do. And I feel like that is a part of that, that intensity, that depth. That Scorpio wants to get deep. They want to get deep. They right. don't want to do small. And talk. I mean, uh, yeah, like she had super dark experiences, but then that's what also makes her so fascinating and beautiful and, and complex and like, so, you know, amazing for me to be to like be a part of this person's life and have these conversations and have this. And also she is the kind of a person who's going to be like, if something goes wrong, she would be the person who would really do her best to try to help to do anything. Oh, and I, I feel like that. that's the Scorpio element because of the intensity of their experience and the feeling of everything that they will be the ones who will show up, like drive for three hours and show up in your house and be like, I'm here for you. You know what yes. I mean? Isn't that yes. beautiful? It is beautiful. And it's a hard it's like placement. the other side of that coin right. is that they understand. And so they will show up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I so appreciate that versus like somebody might have had a lighter experience, but they're also going to be a different person. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, that's why I don't like in astrology when people say, oh, that's a bad placement. I'm like, no, that's not. Again, it's too reductive. It's too oversimplified. Mm -hmm. The stuff that Daniel told me about your work, I'm okay. like, who's going to do that? Like, who's going to know how to do that stuff and connect to these women and have these where they trust you? Like, you think like a person with like a little happy-go-lucky moon is going to walk in and be like, tell me your problems. Let's, let's solve them. Let's figure this let's out, figure this out. Like, just go paint your nails, like get a new outfit it's gonna be great you know what I mean like I'm like like it takes right it takes like that's fascinating for these people like for someone to trust you I mean yeah yeah so it's a it's very special yeah oh thank you so much Tatiana that is oh. wow I yeah, really I, mean it. I can tell that you mean it and that's why it means a lot you're making me put words to a concept that I've been thinking about for a long time, which mm -hmm. is that I do think that a lot of trust is almost this kind of energetic process. 
Like, it's like, I can feel that this person not only wants to understand, but is capable of, capable. of understanding. That's a really yeah. big word. Like there, yeah. there's something energetic that's happening between us that lets me know that this is safe. Like this is the right context right. for this information or this healing. Right. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? So yeah. So in that sense, that's the sort of the new modern thought of changing these concepts of bad versus good and just being yes. like, guys, let's look at life in this and really uh, remember the complexity of everything and of our human experience. Yes. It allows us to also be more tolerant of each other. Yes, that is so true. Oh, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I know that we are getting to yes. the end of time, but I, I want to like hang out with oh, you and talk I with know, you more in general because you're Thank awesome. You. Okay. So as we start kind of winding yeah. down, I would love for you to talk a little bit about just where listeners can find and follow your work. What should they be on the lookout for? How can they connect with you? Because I know that they're going to want to. So, Well, I mean, everything that I make, I make under my my stage name, I mean, my moniker, mm-hmm. like a good Gemini with split personality. And I don't do one <laughs> name. That's not, that's not how it works. So right. Taina, you know, T-A-I-I-N-A, that's me. And Taina. yeah, I mean, I'm, there's music on iTunes and there's, I try to post on Instagram. All the platforms. So that's kind of yep. where you can find yep. me. Awesome. Yes, Taina, exactly. Even though your name is Tatiana, but your yes, your stage yeah. name is mm-hmm. Taina. So look yeah. for that. Awesome. Are you playing any like shows or doing anything upcoming? No, so I've been mostly in the studio, you know, working with other artists. Nice. Well, the temple. The temple, yeah. And especially since I am this sort of hybrid of the producer and the artist, you know. So I've been working a lot with the other artists, making music for them. And, but cool. also I'm, I'm working on my like body of work, I guess, EP album for next year that I just want there to be music that represents me, you know, that represents the work that I do. So, yeah, so far chilling in the temple like a good hermit. <laughs> chilling in the temple. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Bringing it back. <laughs> Amazing. Tatiana, thank you so much for being oh, here. I got so much out of this conversation. I enjoyed it so much. Thank too. you for you just bringing, bringing your realness. You are <laughs> wonderful. You're awesome. This is a guided meditation for a restful night's sleep. Be sure that you're in a position that's comfortable. that you're ready to drift off if that's what your body needs. And so first, just bringing the attention to the breath. We always start here because the breath is an anchor for the attention. Anytime the attention wanders, the breath can be used to draw your focus back inward. Taking your time. 
feeling the breath just slowly begin to slow down. Knowing that there's nothing you need to do right now besides just breathe. Letting the breath occur naturally. You don't need to control it in any way. Just being present with it. Now beginning to just move the attention through the body. So beginning at the top of the head, scanning downwards, observing. Moving the attention down through the muscles of the face, letting them rest. Relaxing the tongue and the mouth, the jaw. Scanning down through the neck and shoulders. Letting them come to rest. Noticing the center of your body. The heart the core, the back. Noticing any areas of tension, just sending breath there. Moving down through the hips, the legs, and just letting each of these muscle groups come to rest, letting the breath soften them. Letting the feet and the arms become heavy. The body really sinking into the bed. If there's any tension that you've noticed, imagine it, imagining it beginning to flow out of the fingers and the toes.
just draining away with each breath. now just imagining and creating a feeling of warmth, beginning in the hands and the feet, letting that warmth begin to spread up through the arms and the legs. That warmth is just melting and softening each muscle that it passes. That warmth then reaches the core of your body. Relaxing. Melting. Knowing that this is a state of surrender. Just making way for sleep to come. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest and Gemini queen, Taina, supreme mother and creator on all levels. It's always inspiring to talk to someone who moves through the world with their eyes wide open. Thank you for seeing me. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. 
if you must sleep through a third of your life. Are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.